Chad and John, the two-man power trip. That's uh, that's an awesome uh, name for yourselves. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, John. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Scotty Riggs, and you're listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you. Thank you. Hear me. Fear me. What's going on, guys? This is a 7-foot, 330-pound DNA of TNA. That's right. My DNA is outer space. And you're listening to the two-man power trip of professional wrestling. You know, I, I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know 10 times more than I do. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling brought to you today and powered by Meowbox. Meowbox is a monthly cat subscription box service full of surprises and delivered to your door every single month. And please be sure to stay tuned a little bit later on in the show for a special promotion just for the listeners of the two-man power trip of wrestling, courtesy of our good friends at Meowbox and Meowbox.com. And yo, baby, yo, baby, yo. With that being said, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, Primetime John Paz, and John will be with us in just a minute. But John, obviously, I cannot give it any way anymore than I just did. Yo, baby, yo, baby, yo. The familiar call of WCW legend, and I'm going to say legend because there's no more WCW anymore, and that is PN News, a.k.a. Cannonball Grizzly. But PN News has joined us for quite a talk, quite a, a great length that we uh, we did go to to get this one done. And I guess the first question I would say is, where has PN News been? And where might we see PN News in the near future? Yes, Chad. Two-man power trip of wrestling is back today, and this time we hit one out of the park. We went a little international on this one. PN News a.k.a. the Rapmaster, a.k.a. Cannonball Grizzly, joined us for a tremendous episode. Hit a lot of my uh, my WCW favorites, of course. But, you know, you kind of said, where has PN News been? And, you know, almost alluding to, where will he be in the near future? Now, PN News has been over in Europe as Cannonball Grizzly, the gimmick he did prior to being the Rapmaster PN News. And he's a huge, huge star over there. We go into great detail about how over he is over there, how popular he is. And he's just a tremendous big-time star over there in Europe. You know, he's wrestling in England. He's huge. He's wrestling in Germany. He's huge. He's wrestling in Austria. He's huge. So it's funny. Uh, a lot of fans don't realize it, uh, how you know how popular you can be overseas and how much money you can make overseas. And, and you can kind of become a huge star in your own right and never have to return to the States. 
we go into great detail about a story of Scott Hall over there in Germany and kind of how, you know, he got over big over there and decided to stick with the wrestling business. And a great uh, story about PN News over there with all the uh, great wrestlers that he's been able to wrestle and all the great guys he's been able to bring in. You know, him being a multiple, multiple time champion and many leagues over there in Europe. So great stuff. And it's great to hear, you know, he was doing so well. Because you never, sometimes you lose track of these guys and you don't know what happened to them or, or where they did. But PN News doing quite well over there on the international scene in Europe. And. Look for him to be returning to the States. Yes, we will be bringing him back to the United States and hopefully in the very, very near future. So uh, stay tuned for more details on that. But PN News will be returning to the States. Cannonball Grizzly, the European legend, will be returning to the States. You know, we'll, we'll see the return of the great gimmick, the Rap Master PN News. And although he's had such a great run as Cannonball Grizzly, both, like you said, before he was actually PN News, and then following his run as PN News and really dominating Europe as Cannonball Grizzly with that character for such a long time, you know, you got to think back to the fact that the PN News character, the Rap Master, was an innovative gimmick at that time in WCW in the early 90s. And since then, I mean, we've kind of beaten it to death, and a couple of our former guests uh, have you know had an, some incarnation of that gimmick, whether it's uh, Wolfie D who put his own spin on it, or Mo who has his own spin on it. I know you'll get to uh, to Mo in a minute and, and Men on a Mission, but you know PN News and him being the innovator, perhaps of the you know quote rapper gimmick. I don't think he always gets the credit that he deserves, and I think possibly looked at more, you know, as a, not as a joke, because I never want to say somebody's a joke, but just because of the colors, just because of the nature of how WCW portrayed him, he does not get the credit that he definitely deserves. Yeah, you know, his gimmick was very innovative, especially at the time. You know, you weren't seeing that gimmick a lot in the early 90s. Eventually, you'd see a lot of copycats and a lot of that gimmick going on for sure, and very interesting the story of the gimmick basically you know uh, the great great story involving dusty Rhodes and dusty Rhodes naming him pn news and why he's pn news so that's some great stuff him doing his own thing creating the raps doing all that other stuff that you weren't seeing too much of that at that time and it really got over he really was super popular and he was definitely over in wcw obviously he was rookie of the year for wcw so there's a lot of high points for him, I think, and I think he could have went maybe a little further, but we'll go into detail why he didn't and some backstage politics, and we'll go into some detail about you know, his contract and so forth and so on. So definitely stay tuned for that. That's some good stuff. But he was definitely an innovator. One thing that kind of struck me, and I didn't know this, you know, Chad, I don't think you knew it either. I mean, we we're big-time fans, and we had no idea this was true. But before Men on a Mission debuted in the WWF, WWE, if you will, PN News was approached, you know, by the WBF, and they kind of wanted that gimmick. Now, I'm not sure if he was going to be, um, I would, I don't think he was going to be, the, you know, the Mabel character, but although he could have been, uh, maybe he would have been Mo. I don't know if they wanted him for Oscar, but, you know, he could have been any of those three guys in Men on a Mission, and then all of a sudden, you know, yeah, he was in WCW, and there was some contract issues, but basically, you know, obviously he never ended up in the WWF, but there was feelers out there, and they were interested, and they loved the gimmick, and all of a sudden, boom, there's men on a mission, so there's another. those are another guys that are probably uh, imitators, if you will, to the, you know, to the legendary Rapmaster PN News gimmick, so for sure, he was 100% an innovator, and I just love, you know, anytime we get a guy on, we talk about Dusty, you know, we love Dusty. And, of course, you always get the great uh, dusty impression by the boys. 
Oh, yeah, definitely, without a doubt. We could put together our own Dusty Impression compilation just based off of the amount of stories that are out there about him. And, of course, every single one is just its so, so awesome. It's such a great look into who Dusty Rhodes was and how he really was something to each guy that, you know, they ends up doing the impression, really had a mark on their career. But why don't we talk about something that had a mark on somebody's career, and that's the scaffold match from Great American Bash 1991. And for PN News, it's a pretty big match to be involved in because scaffold matches had kind of gone away by 1991. They were really sparsely used. Uh, and this one in particular, I know, has a lot of, um, I guess you could say, not negative uh, reviews or responses towards it. It's just more of a, you know, a questionable usage, uh, to say the least. But I know you were itching to talk about it with PN, and you definitely got your shot. But uh, why don't you talk about that a little bit in that infamous 1991 Great American Bash scaffold match? Well, you can't really talk to PN News without talking about something that was pretty damn bad. And in uh, 1991 at WCW, they weren't doing too hot because uh, Rick Flair had just left and he took the title with him. And, and they were kind of uh, in a little bit of a, of a panic mode, I would say. I mean, you still had Sting and Luger and Barry Windham and PN News was hot at the point. But they they were kind of floundering. The leadership there was kind of in and out and... Uh, you know, Ole Anderson, uh, Dusty, there was, there was a lot of, uh, you know, people coming in and out, a lot of issues going on behind behind the scenes, quite frankly, but Great American Bash 91 was, was a big show because of the whole Flair controversy and the whole issue with Flair taking the title, but even more so, it's almost remembered in a funny kind of way, and if, like we talked to PN News about it, if you're talking about something 20-something 20, 20 years later, whether it's good or bad, it's kind of you know, good that you're still talking about it. So whether, you, you know, you didn't like the show or did like the show, people are still talking about it. And why, most importantly, is because of that scaffold match. Think about that match. It was pretty damn bad. And we go into details about why it was, you know, as bad as it was. And the thought behind it, obviously, it's uh, PN News and Bob Eaton versus uh, stunning Steve Austin and Terry Taylor, so very, you know, very high talent level in the match, but the matches didn't work, and we go into great detail about what was wrong with the scaffold, how they shouldn't have had the match, Dusty not expecting anybody to take a bump, it's great stuff, you know, behind the scenes, and great story behind it, but the actual match itself is pretty awful, but I just, you know, we had to ask about it, we had to get into great detail about it, and that's something that, you, you know, you'll definitely, definitely be very, very interested in, and of course, we do go into great detail about a guy he feuded with, you know, all those years ago, 24, 25 years ago, and that was Stone Cold, a.k.a. Stunning Steve Austin, and we go into, you know, what he thought of Steve, um, did he kind of, you know, foresee him being the big star that he became, well, big is kind of an understatement, gigantic star he became, um, what he thought of Austin as a person, and what he thought of him as a worker, so we do really do go into great detail about Steve Austin and, and many of the other guys he wrestled, uh, including uh, Bam Bam Bigelow on the European scene, which he you know cites as one of his favorite matches for sure, and, and we go into detail about a great story about Bam Bam and about that match, and of course you got to talk about Vader, the feud that kind of never was, but you know they had a bunch of matches, but it almost seemed like WWE was leading to a big feud with the greatest big man of all time, Big Man Vader, and it kind of uh, you know it didn't happen. So we'll go into great detail about that as well, and just quite a joy for us to be able to. Uh, Yet another international star on the docket like PN News. Totally agree. And he is the rap master. He is PN News. He is Cannonball Grizzly. And why don't you look for the Easter egg, and that is when he does hit you with the Yo Baby, Yo Baby, Yo. It's a great line. 
I absolutely love it. It was, uh, you know, I kind of, you know, I had the microphone on mute and uh, a little snicker came out of me, but that's awesome. And speaking of something that's awesome, it's our association with TopRopePress.com and we're now part of the TopRopePress.com radio network, sending them exclusive best ofs as well as some very interesting and unique content that's going to be heading their way very, very soon. So please take a look at TopRowPress.com and the TopRowPress.com radio network. And also, while you're going to type that in to your old computer there, why don't you head on over to MeowBox.com and head on out to get yourself a first monthly box subscription courtesy of the two-man power trip of wrestling. And hey, just because we love you, we're going to give you 10% off that first monthly box subscription when you enter the code POWERTRIP10 into the checkout box. Again, that's code POWERTRIP10 in all capitals in the checkout box on meowbox.com. You're going to get 10% off that first monthly box subscription. We hope you enjoy it. We hope you enjoy Meowbox just as much as we love and enjoy Meowbox. But John, I'm going to hand the, uh, the keys of the car over to you. Why don't you drive them on down to PM News? But first... Hit them with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business and tell them a little bit more about Meow Box. Yes, Meow Box, baby. They are the best. They have a, a little service called One Box Can where every Meow Box purchase will get you a can of food donated to a shelter cat on your behalf. So that is excellent. Also remember, all edible items are made in the USA or Canada so you know where your edible items are coming from. Now, if you have a picky cat like mine, Lucy, who uh, has a bit of a special diet, you can replace your edible items with toys and surprises, which little Lucy absolutely loves, and that is great of Meowbox. So just remember, folks, that is Meowbox.com, promo code POWERTRIP10 for 10% off your first subscription. Again, Meowbox.com, promo code POWERTRIP10 for 10% off your first subscription. And now on to some TMPT business. Chad, as you previously mentioned, we are now part of the Top Rope Press family. That's right, Top Rope, excuse me, TopRopePress.com and the Top Rope Press Radio Network. We're a part of them and we're giving exclusive best ofs every week on there. So please check us out there and please check out TopRopePress.com for all your wrestling needs because they're the best in the business today. Also, some more TNPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Rasslin Pal and at Two Man Power Trip. Also, subscribe to us on YouTube. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while you're on iTunes, check out the feed for past great episodes with the late great American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, Harley Race, Ricky the Dragon, Steamboat, Sergeant Slaughter, Tully Blanchard, Stan the Larry Hansen, The Blueprint, Matt Morgan. Scotty Riggs, Jerry Lynn, and so, so, so many more. So please check us out on iTunes. Don't forget about the website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. And speaking of another great sports network that we're associated with, check us out every week on the I-95 Sports Network. Google it up and check it out. That is the I-95 Sports Network. We're bringing best ofs and exclusives to them as well. So please check us out on there. Always some good stuff. Now... If you're interested in booking Kevin Thorne, a.k.a. Mordecai, a.k.a. Kevin Fertig, please email bookings at tmptofwrestling.com. That is bookings at tmptofwrestling.com. Just remember one thing, he's back out of exile, and if you can, check out the pictures of his transformation because he is looking huge. He's back, and he's in great shape, and he wants to bring the bike club to a town near you. So email us. 
for all that booking information on the big man and while you're at it go check out the kevin thorne page on pro wrestling tees they're making the greatest t-shirts in the history of the wrestling business so please go to prowrestlingtees.com for all your kevin thorne t-shirts and you too can be a member of the bike club and now without any further ado a man that has held titles all over europe a former WCW Rookie of the Year in 1991. You may know him as Cannonball Grizzly, but we know him as the Rapmaster. PN News. Please enjoy. To the old school WCW fan, but also to the longtime wrestling fans, you might remember this guy as PN News, but you also might know him as Cannonball Grizzly. And we're talking to him live today. And I don't know what you want me to call you. I'm going to call you Cannonball. You want me to call you PN News? But Paul, thank you so much for joining the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. Yeah, you can call me whatever you want. It doesn't matter to me. Uh, most people in the United States are probably familiar with the uh, PN News character. Uh, Germany and Austria, around Europe, uh, more people would probably recognize me as Cannibal Grizzly. So it's great. Uh, thanks for having me on your show. I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah. That's great. No, it's it's great to hear from you. You know, of course, you know, we're going to get into it uh, with, without a doubt, and that's the PN News character. But I kind of want to talk about you yourself now and Cannonball Grizzly. And we know, you know, if you follow wrestling and you've been following you, you know Cannonball Grizzly's been around for quite a while. But, you know, you've been wrestling internationally for quite a long time as well. But, you know, tell us what it's like wrestling internationally because, you know, we've only had kind of dribs and drabs of information uh, in the States. You know, Twitter's helped a lot, and, you know, Facebook has helped getting some uh, tours out there and knowing when a guy's overseas. But why don't you tell us a little bit about the, uh, the wrestling scene in Germany, in Austria, and, you know, kind of what you've been up to since, uh, really, we last saw you in the States. Well, um, I mean... I first came over to uh, to Europe or to the CWA, the old CWA in, in Germany, Austria, back in 1988. Um, the first time I wrestled w- was in was in Bremen, and uh, the the scene in Europe, um, you know, the, it was a combination of British style. The Germans had their own style, of course, and then the Americans that came over, uh, they brought the the American style. So it was a really good a good mix of of, of talent that that uh, you had to deal with and. From from the CWA, a lot of guys went over to to start their careers, uh, for you know, in the states with uh, WWE or WCW uh, and stuff like that. Um, the, the British style of wrestling is uh, what they consider is called a catch as catch can over here, and um, it's 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 an actual. Um, it, unfortunately, it's a it's a it's a dying dying breed. But uh, international wrestling, for me, um, being over here and being out here for, for such a long time, uh, wrestling in over 50 countries, um, I really enjoy the, the international scene because uh, sometimes when you're wrestling in the United States, you kind of feel like the fans have seen everything. You know what I mean? And, and over here, they, they seem to be more appreciative and um, I keep I keep working with a lot of these new younger uh, kids who seem to want to do everything um, in every match. And I just I, when I go out there, I 
work an old school style and um, you know work with the crowd and 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 the crowd seems uh, seems to take it on pretty well. Um, the, of course, the scene isn't as strong as it used to be, but uh, there are a lot of independent companies that are that are keeping it going and uh, yeah, so so it's uh, not too bad over here. Now, that's awesome, and of course, if you remember the name Catch Wrestling Association, you know, obviously, you think about Otto Wands, and you hear some of the uh, the stories, you know, from the past, and you think about the guys that when they come over for tours, you know, they, they talk about, you know, the scenery, they talk about the sights, they talk about wrestling in all these different places that they've never been, but so you yourself getting over there, and especially in 1988, you know, and obviously, you're, you're still there today, so what was it about that international scene that really uh, struck you and that you really liked about it? It was probably the women. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I love the European women, uh, but not just that. You know, I was over here. Um, you know, when you know when I, I mean, to to go back a few steps before uh, I came over here, uh, when I was trained in Minneapolis uh, by Brad Ringens, um, and then I started in AWA, and I was there a short time, and I went out to Portland, Oregon, and uh, that's where kind of. Uh, uh, Fujinami had uh, had saw had seen me over out, out there, and he took my picture and had already promised me a tour in Japan. And while he was over here in um, in he came over to Jew, uh, to Germany while he because he was doing like a, a, a worldwide tour, and he he gave Otto my picture and Otto called me uh, he called me because he needed a big man and uh, I didn't even have a passport at the time. I got my passport within three days and I came over here. Um, the the thing that the thing that's really um, kept me over here is I although I'd learned a lot uh, from guys like Kurt Henning and, and Nick Bockwinkel and and uh, uh, Larry Zabisco and guys like that in the AWA and then the grappler Lynn Danton and Dave Sierra uh, you know the the Cuban assassin or, and later Top Gun and uh, working with uh, great individuals out in Portland uh, Scott Peterson uh, Steve Tall. Uh, Matt Bourne, uh, uh, Buddy Rose was a partner of mine. Also, uh, Ed, Ed, uh, uh, Ed Lasowski, the uh, Colonel De Beers. But I got to come over here, and then I was working with great, uh, great wrestlers like uh, Sid Finley. You know, who was was a was a great mentor of mine. He really, uh, you know, I hung around him all the time, and I just picked up bits and pieces off of him. And uh, you know, for me, he's you know probably. Of, of my generation, probably uh, one of the I consider one of the best workers ever, and uh, was working with guys like Tony Sinclair, and then Scott Hall came over and had uh, JLB, and you had you had just a, really a lot of guys, and the the amount of talent that was coming through here, I mean we'd have a we'd have a twenty man team in one of those tournaments, twenty twenty two men, and you know out of those twenty two men. 18, 19 of them were really good workers, you know, and you were only carrying three guys. So it was, it was just a great place to work. It was a great place to, to make money, and uh, it was it was uh, the lifestyle was incredible because you were in, you were in a town uh, up to 60 days in a row, you know, uh, and you wouldn't have to leave anywhere. So the lifestyle was great. You'd you'd either live in, be living in a camper or you'd or you'd uh, be living in a hotel somewhere. And uh, you you know you'd go to the same gym every day you know you'd go out to the same bars at night you'd you know it was really really comfortable it was a comfortable lifestyle you really got to enjoy uh, all the sights and sounds of, of what is what was European uh, wrestling at the time. 
Yeah, and I mean, all those names that you mentioned, you know, especially one that sticks out is Scott Hall because he actually uh, mentions his run going over there to Germany uh, basically as his in-between from where he wasn't sure if he wanted to still continue into the business. And that run itself ended up kind of uh, getting him back on the, uh, you know, the map and back into WCW and then on a roll, obviously. But then other names you mentioned in there, of course, you know, Larry Zbysko and those AWA guys. I mean, really, they, it just kind of seems like those names really did help the younger guys along. And you mentioned Kurt Henning as well. But then the other guy I want to mention is Brad Rangan. So training under Brad Rangan, and we hear his name a lot. Um, you know, he's credited with so many guys and getting them their start. But what was it like training with Brad? And obviously, you know, he's uh, got a little bit of a different style, uh, you know, maybe compared to some of the other trainers of the day. But uh, how was training under Brad, especially at that point where, I mean, he was just kind of, uh, you know, one of the go-to guys in terms of uh, learning the ropes? Yeah, I uh... – I mean, I, I've, I've got to say, in all fairness, I probably was a huge influence on Scott Hall, keep staying in the business, you know what I mean? Just going forward, I just want to say that. But then I was <laughs> a lot of time with Scott. But, um, yeah, the thing with uh, Brad, Brad was uh, tremendous, you know what I mean? It was probably one of the premier uh, camps at the time. I mean, back then it was, you know, it was a closed shop. Trying to get into a wrestling school was, you know, was, was hard work. You know, it, they, they tried to keep the riffraff out. And you know, it, you know, there was a, it used to be a closed door policy. Now wrestling seems to be a back door policy. You know, the back door is open and everybody just comes in. But Brad, yeah, he was intense. I mean, with his background of being an Olympic wrestler, and and in 1980 when when the U.S. boycotted the uh, the Olympics, um, Brad was uh, you know like the number two wrestler in the world at the time. And uh, I mean, when when you started training with Brad, I mean, he put you through the ringer, you know what I mean? I came from a football background, uh, so I, I knew what it was like to, to train hard. But he would, you know, you'd be doing 500 squats, you'd be doing a lot of cardio before you got into the ring. Then you'd get in there and, and you know, you'd, you'd do all your, uh, you, you know, your basic works, you know. And, and uh, halfway through, Brad Brad went went up to New York for, for a stint. And then uh, a guy named Dutasel, was helping out, and the Nasty Boys would come in and help with us. And also, uh, the, you know, the, the the Rockers were up there in, in Minneapolis at the time, so they'd come in, you know, uh, Sean and Marty, and they'd work with us as well. So, um, but, but, you know, when Brad was there, it was pretty intense. You know, you'd see him, everybody that had to get, everybody that wanted to go through the school, you know, to weed out the riffraff, Brad would uh, make you go three minutes on it, you know, three minutes, uh, six minutes with him, two rounds. You know, where you'd have to get on the mat, and you'd have to do your best, and, and, you know, I've, I've seen him scurf a few guys, you know what I mean, and they they, they grabbed their bags and they left the building, you know. Uh, it, wow. wasn't about, uh, it wasn't about making the money. It was about keeping the job right, you know. And uh, that was a great thing. I've, I've always had a lot of respect for Brad, and uh, I think, um, you know, he was, you know, he, he, he had a good eye for talent, too. Oh, yeah, totally. And he, trust me, it's not the first time we've heard him on the show and people, uh, you know, crediting him for such success as they've gone on to because of that, the way he was training. But how about, let's go back to Scott Hall. So, like I said, you know, he he credits that run in Germany as being like that turning point as to what he didn't, really didn't know what he was going to do with moving forward and before he got back into the States. But talk about him at that point, because obviously he was big Scott Hall. He was huge. He was imposing. He had this unique look about him. He could talk. 
You know, he wasn't really there, I guess, in terms of the work. If you watch those matches where he was teamed with Kurt Hennig, because Kurt Hennig was just, you know, on another planet. But talk about Scott Hall at that point, and before he really moved on to being the megastar he ended up being, that run in Germany is definitely defining for a, a part of his career. Well, you know, I mean, I mean, I know Kurt had a big influence on Scott, and you know, I mean, Scott was green as grass when when he was up in Minneapolis. So, of course, he's you know he's you know he, he's going to be he's going to look a shabby compared to a guy like Henning, um, who again is number one of the greatest workers of my generation and of all time. And uh, but what, what I think what really helped Scott and the thing that helped a lot of people when they came over to the Cash Wrestling Association working for Autobots was really the incredible. Uh, mixture of, of different styles that was there. You'd have Japanese young boys coming in. You, you know, as I said before, you'd have the English style. You'd have you'd have Germans uh, working their style, and the mixture of the American style. And, and as this, the two years I spent with Scott over there, you could really see him. He really came into his own, and he really be, you know he you could you could see that really talent coming coming out. And I mean, I remember. Uh, when he came into WCW, because I was there just a, a little bit before him, I was already doing those Great American Bass raps, and I remember him coming in the dressing room, and he came right up to me, and I, I hardly recognized him. He had sunglasses on, he'd cut that mustache on, and his hair was dyed black and stuff like that, you know. And he came in with, uh, he, he, he came in there, and I was like, oh, oh damn, Scott, look at you, you know. But uh, you know, he really, he, in, in the CWA, he really started coming into his own. I think that that made a hell of a difference uh, in his career, and I know he'd had a couple tours in Japan, but I think uh, he probably learned the most uh, in those two years that uh, we spent over in uh, the CWA together. Like that would have been like a, he came in the first in '87, and then I spent '88 80, and '89 with him. So, or 80, like, 80, 80, 89, 89 and '90. Sorry. It was like too. You know, you mentioned you don't know. Obviously, you met the Hall and WCW, but how did you actually get into WCW? Like, who who kind of saw you? Who noticed you? And who ended up signing? Well, well, I was I was in Bremen in Germany, and I was with uh, Moondog Rex, uh, Randy Colley, and you know I hung around with Randy. Randy was a good influence on me. He was, you know, uh, I learned a lot from Randy as well because you know he he was a Randy was a great finish man. You know, he he comes from you know he comes from that Southern school of finishes, and and I tagged with him quite a bit. And it was, uh, so uh, me and Randy hung out quite a bit. And uh, he goes, he goes, Paul, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta come over. I said, he goes, uh, Ole Anderson's in charge of WCW. Let's call him. So let's call him and and, uh, I'll get you a job, right? So uh, we went to a payphone because there were no telephones back then, you know, this is dark ages practically. And, uh, so uh, we went on to the payphone, and Randy Randy started, he called Ole and started talking to, to Ole. And then he put me on the phone, and I started talking to Ole, and, and uh, we started going back and forth, and I told him about where I'd come from and, and uh, where, where who I'd, who I'd, who had kind of helped me along the way. And he says, great. He says, uh, all right, as soon as you get back, uh, you, you can uh, we can get you started right away. I mean, that was it. I was in, you know. And then all of a sudden, uh, WCW fired Ole, and uh, Dusty uh, Dusty uh, was was planned to take over, but he was still under contract uh, with the with the WWF at the time. Um, and uh, so I went to I went to a TV with Randy uh, because I was down in the area. I, w- I went to a TV with Randy, and of course they always say 
you know, put your gear in the car just in case. So I put my gear in the car, and I believe it was Macon, Georgia, and uh, I put my gear in the car, and, they, and so we had a round, we had a word with Grizzly Smith, and uh, and uh, he went and talked to some of the other agents, and they said, all right, we'll give you we'll give you a dark match, and I got my dark match, and they were impressed with you know me throwing drop kicks and and doing all that stuff, and and uh, they, they I guess that 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 weekend Dusty had saw the saw the videotape and he loved me he said yeah sit still we'll get you we'll get you uh we'll get you a spot and uh so i mean I, it was, at, that, at that point it was just a waiting game of when i was going to start i was kind of panicking because you know until it's all in writing you just don't know and uh so uh i was randy hurt his knee and i was on a but we i rode with him down to pensacola for a house show and um he was telling he was telling uh uh, Grizz and, and Barry Window, and he said, "You know, my knee's bad." I he said, "But but Paul's here; he can he can do my job for you." So they said, "Okay, boom," and they put me on first with Brad Rangins, and I was working his heel, and I always preferred heel back then, you know, preferably to to babyface. And uh, so I went on first, and we tore the house down just doing a basic work the crowd match. They hated me, and working Brad Armstrong is like working a dream, and just you know, just a one of the most underrated wrestlers of all time. Again, you know, but you know what a pleasure to work with the guy. We tore the house down, and I came back, and and uh, Barry says, "Man, we're on TV. We're doing uh, we're doing Marietta uh, on uh, this next Monday. You got to come down. Just come down. We'll put you in a mat. We'll put you in a tag team with Flair or somebody. We're going to get you on TV. It's incredible. You know, they were just that impressed. And so I went to I went to Marietta and. Uh, Dusty was there, and that was his first TV that he was involved with the company. And Dusty, you know, he told me to tell He said, listen, kid, we're not going to get you on now, if you will. But if you give it a little bit of time, uh, we're going to bring you in. But I just need, I just need, I just need a little bit of time, you know. So, so I said, all right, Dusty, thanks a lot. And I, you know, I waited around for another about six weeks, and finally. Uh, Finally, Dusty, they called me, and I had to go in the office, and the whole idea with the rapping gimmick was, was an idea that, I, you know, I was sat over in Germany and kind of came up with it with me and Scott were, you know, buzzing around about it. And uh, finally, uh, I took some hats of pictures made over there and, and uh, brought it back, and then, you know, uh, I, I sat there and I was talking to Dusty and, and Magnum and... And they asked me if I could rap, and so I did a little rap there, and you know, you know, they said, all right. So, so they put me on my first TV, and and then they uh, they put, and then I was doing that Great American Bass rap, and then the rest is history. I had, you know, I, I was, I signed my contract uh, that May. So. Now, who came up with the name, you know, Rap Master PN News? Was that you? Was that Dusty? Was well, that, no, yeah, the, the, the PN News thing was was Dusty because I, I mean, I I had a different name for the gimmick. I think, you know, I think I came up with TJ Cool or something like that. But because my name is Paul New, he he came up with the idea because we were, you know, working with Turner Broadcasting. He said, you know, PMN, CNN, you know, people are going to catch the connection, if you will, you know. So it was it was that was how he. He come up with the name PM News because it was kind of current with CN, uh, you know, CN News, you know. So um, that's that's where Dusty and put the Rap Master on there with it, and he kind of he that that was his, yeah, that was basically his uh, presentation to the whole gimmick. 
Now, obviously, you know, in WCW, the 1991 Rookie of the Year, you kind of, you know, you got a good little push there, and they kind of started it off, not, you know, right away, but, you know, you have the rapper giving going, and they put you in a guy, in, in there with a guy named Stunning Steve Austin. What was your impression yeah. of Steve Austin at that point? Because, obviously, he would go on to become the biggest or maybe second biggest star of all time. So, I mean, everybody could see that the guy was talented. There's no question about it. Uh, he was, you know, he was he was easy to work with. Um, yeah, I mean, you knew there was something there. You knew eventually that uh, if somebody, you know, in, in this business, it's the right place at the right time, and somebody giving you giving you the break. And if he was going to be in the right place at the right time, you knew that he was going to be able to pull it off. You know, his his his, his uh, talent shown shown through back then. You know, I mean, some of them. I mean, we did a we did a uh, we did a time limit draw on a. TV on, a, on his TV championship on that match, but the, I got to say one of the worst matches that I can remember ever doing. He was involved with as well was that damn scaffold match in Baltimore. That's one match <laughs> I would soon, I just as soon forget. <laughs> I definitely wanted to touch on the Great American Bash '91. The scaffold match was you and Bobby Eaton, another great worker, yes. against Austin and Terry Taylor. What was the That's thought right. process? You know, what like when you know the match is being booked? Did you like immediately think like, okay, this is going to be a stinker? Like I don't, you know, scat. Well, match, it, I, I think it had potential. It, it, it had potential, but the problem is, is they forgot to order a scaffolding. And so when 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 they jimmy rigged that that monstrosity that they put up, it was it was you know it was like four stories high. It was just ridiculous. You know, normal scaffolding was like two stories high, so the fall wasn't that great. And I remember Dusty pulling all four of us, and he says, listen, uh, you know, uh, normally somebody's got to fall off these things, you know, and, uh, you know, you, I, you know, but I, he goes, but I don't expect anybody to take the fall here. And I, my, hat, my hat's off to Bobby because Bobby goes right away, I'll do it. You know what I mean? And he'd seen how high it was because that was the opener. And he'd seen how high it was. And, I mean, Bobby, I mean, everybody else kind of just turned and looked at Bobby, mouth wide open, and I was like, you got to be kidding me, you know. And uh, But he said it, and he said, nah, Dusty, Dusty said I can't be a part of that. And then, uh, so then he came up with the idea with those with those flags. But, I mean, when we've seen the height of how high that scaffolding was, I mean, that was, in my mind, I wasn't standing with the other guys when I saw the scaffolding. I knew that that was going to be an issue. I mean, I was, you know, dude, I, I, I would have broke more than my both legs if I if I came off that if I'd have fell off that thing. That would have been, uh, that would have been probably for me been death. You know, I was, I was, I mean, I've I've done a lot of crazy things in my career, but uh, that that was uh, that was seriously a, a dangerous moment. Now going into the scaffold match, did, obviously you know you guys saw the issues with it, but did did Austin and like Terry Taylor have any you know sort of issues like not wanting to go through with the match? Nobody said anything about not going to go through the match. We you know that's what we were booked in to do. I mean, I mean, we, I mean in those days you you know, it was very seldom that you ever heard anybody say no, I'm not doing it. You just if that's that's what you were booked to do, you you went out and did it. You know. Um, I didn't. I, I, you know, I wouldn't have refused. You know, I was just, I was happy to be in the spot and, you know, to be on a pay per view. And, and those guys all, all said, you know, said it too. Uh, you know, I'd worked with, I'd worked with all three of those guys in, in, in other matches prior to that. I just wish it could have, you know, would have 
been a different kind of match other than that scaffolding match. Other otherwise, or if they'd had a regular scaffolding uh, there, I wouldn't have had no problem falling off a regular scaffolding. But that thing was just just way way too high. Yeah, it's funny. A lot of people still talk about it, and you know, it's about twenty twenty five years ago. You know that 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 match happened. I mean, it was a long time ago, nineteen ninety one. You know, it's one of those weird things. They're like, well, people are still talking about it, and people still seek it out on YouTube and the WWE Network and stuff. So, it's kind of one of those things where it's it's a, a terrible match, but everyone remembers it. Yeah, I guess uh, you know, good good or bad. I mean, if it, if people are still looking at then looking at it, then I guess uh, I mean my leg, legacy still goes on somewhere. Then you know. Um, it's just, I mean, whether they're looking at it to criti- to criticize it or whether they're looking at it to because they appreciate it or, or whatever, you know, that's that's a fan's prerogative. Um, but I just think it's, uh, I mean, if, if that's the case, you know, if they're checking it out, you know, good for them. I, I'm just glad I could be there to, to entertain the fans because after that, after all, that's what this job is about is, is entertaining the public. Absolutely, and the rap master definitely did that. He were definitely over with the crowd and and the movie. Yo baby, yo baby, yo. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that fondly. That was great. Now, I remember you you had some matches with Big Van Vader at that point. You know, around that area yeah. too. What was it like working with Vader? Was he you know super stiff, or was he you know like a joy to work with? We we had you know we had a common background, Brad Reagans, and I knew him from the AWA. Um, I wrestled with him in um, in Germany. I, mean, I didn't wrestle with him in Germany, but I wrestled on uh, tours with him in Germany. He was coming in for championship matches against Otto or against uh, Luke Portier Rambo, and uh, so I, I knew I'd known Leon for a while. And uh, you know what? When I was in when I was in Germany, I worked. I mean, I worked the stiff style um, as, as a heel. I, I mean, I was I was a pretty solid guy when I was wrestling in, in WCW. Um, I, I I prefer people wrestling tight, um, you know, rather than somebody being able to poke a hole through it, you know. So um, I I didn't feel he never I never felt like he was stiff. I felt he was tight, but I was tight with him. I thought we had some really good matches. It's just a shame we never got to do uh, do a, a lot more. I, I appreciate like, it. I think he's. I think he was. I think he's a quality big man. I think he's a, a very talented. He's a very talented guy. Oh, there's no doubt. He's definitely one of the best big men ever. But it it felt like you guys were going to get a bigger feud. Was that like in the cards and didn't work out that way, it, or was that? It, it was. It was talked about, and I think it. I think it, it didn't work out that way. Uh, you know, there were there were other things going on. But as you said before, uh, the gimmick PN News was. Was was over, you know, in in you know in, in the south and the, you know in in the south Midwest uh, out west, the 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 gimmick was 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 extremely well taken by the fans. Um, northeast is, you know, they they don't like any, you know what the northeast is like. They don't like baby faces on on a good day, so mm-hmm. you know it was it was a different situation up there. But you know. Um, I think I think it could have I think it could have could have been a great little feud if we if we gotten it, but um, I kind of got uh, pushed pushed to the side. Uh, I got pushed to the side for some reason. Um, but uh, I mean, there's there are reasons for the reason for it. Um, but I mean, unfortunately, the reasons that I got pushed aside uh, had I didn't do it. So it's just uh, it's, I mean I, I think it was more of an excuse than anything. Uh, to to kind of 
uh, put me on the sidelines. So, so what? Like, what was the reason that they kind of like pulled you off and put you on the sidelines? Well, there was uh, there was an issue. Um, there was an issue where where um, some money got some money went missing in in the dressing rooms over in uh, in London, and I was one of the guys that lost my money my money as well. And uh, but I got smeared with being the guy that took the money. Funnily enough, about six months later, they they caught the guy uh, uh, Atkins, the referee. He was the guy that was stealing all the money, but they they put it on me. And uh, and then when we got back from the British tour, um, because that was the first tour we ever uh, WCW had ever done in Europe. When we got back, me and me and Rick Rude had had a little bit of a scuffle. It was nothing. It was over nothing. Um, we the next day we were fine with each other. We just you know we we didn't laugh it off, but we kind of. He said, you know, just you know, just be careful what you say to the office because you know fighting was a, you could lose your jobs. And Rick was on one of those uh, three month contracts, and he was making you know like a hundred grand in three months, and and uh, he just wanted to make sure he didn't he wasn't losing his paycheck. And I said, yeah, no problem. Um, and I personally, you know, personally have nothing bad to say about him. You know, men can get in a, men can get in a confrontation and and go back to the bar and, and, and have a drink, you know what I mean? That's 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 just the way that's the way I grew up, you know. Um and uh but that seemed to be like the excuse. Uh, the funny thing about it is I had uh, a couple months earlier I had Ricky Morton um Ricky Morton pulled me to the side after I had done one of my matches in uh where was it? In uh Dothan, Alabama. And it was, you know, it was in those days, the TVs, you did like 24 matches because you filmed the whole TV for a month, you know. And uh, there would have been, I think I was only on once that day. And uh, Dustin had been on twice already, and I was on in the eighth match. And I'd had a little, you know, just an enhancement match. And, you know, I had a good, but the thing was is the people were quiet. Then when my music started playing, the place just went nuts, and you know, women were dancing in the aisles. It was just, I mean, it was insane. You know, it, it, they really went nuts. And when I came back to the dressing room, uh, when I came back to to the back, the only guy waiting for me was Ricky Morton, and he started telling me a story. And uh, and he says, "Brother, watch your back," because uh, the, the story he basically told me was what they. They went to, you know, Dusty was on top with the Road Warriors doing, um, doing that six-man gimmick, and they had the six-man championship, and uh, they were uh, six, the six-man tag championship belts, and they were doing uh, a show somewhere in North Carolina, I think it was Asheville, and they set a house record. Well, a couple weeks later, then uh, the Rock and Roll Express and Midnight Express went in there, and then they broke the house record, and they were basically the B team, and when they see Dusty the next week in the office or on TVs or whatever, uh, Dusty pulled him to the side and said, let me tell you something, baby, never, never, I'll draw the booker. And basically he says, he said to me, he goes, what you did is you just outshined the booker's kid. He said, you gotta, you're going to have to watch your back from here on out. And, and things started changing about, it was about the time when things started changing for me. And I, I just, I didn't want to believe it, but that's the politics of wrestling, you know? Um, and what can you do? Absolutely, and obviously at this point we're talking about uh, Bill Watts and Eric Watts, correct? Yeah. Well, Bill Watts and Eric Watts, yeah, they came in after I was already gone. You know, um, 
I was already gone. I think I was uh, I was on my way, but I was back in Europe by then when Eric when Bill took over. And of course, yeah, Eric was that would have been a similar problem because he was trying to get his son over. So you, you'd have to if you were if you were a young talent, if you were a young talent, you don't want to you don't want to out China the the young young kids that are that are sons and sons and daughters of the Bookers. I'm sure that that, that would be a problem problematic for just about anybody. Right. Oh, so we're 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 mean to Dustin Rhodes then. This was Dustin. Dustin. Oh, Rhodes. okay. Yeah, gotcha. Was, gotcha. Yeah, cause, okay. Because Dustin, yeah. I mean, we both started. Dustin and I both started at the same time. And Dusty. Dustin was doing. You know, he did a singles match, and he was tagging with Barry Windham at that time as well. So, um, you know, he had, he'd had a couple matches on, and that that day in that day in Dolphin, the only two matches that really had any heat was, of course, Sting. You know, people went through the roof. Everybody loved Sting. And, and my gimmick, and you know, Dolphin, Alabama. There's a lot of ethnicity there, so of course, you know, rap gimmick's going to be strong in a town like that. You know. Hmm. Definitely. Now, did you ever get like uh, anything said to you by Dusty or maybe Dustin or something? You know, about that situation, never, kind never, of. Never. You know? Never once. I mean, uh, no. The thing. The thing is, is if 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 something's being in the, in the industry, a lot of things. If something's being said. Generally, a lot of it's being said behind your back and not to your face. You know, that's that's the that's the sad part of the business. And I don't don't understand me. Don't get me wrong. I'm not bitter about it or anything like that. Life's too short to be bitter. And I've actually, you know, I've enjoyed I've enjoyed a pretty decent career. Some of the things I've accomplished overseas, you know, you know, selling out sell, selling out venues by by doing old school angles without television. That's something that a lot of those guys that have been on top in the WWE, they just can't they can't say that, you know. And, you know, I've sold out, you know, I've worked in angles. I've sold out venues in, in Germany. I've sold out venues in Austria, South Africa, um, you know, England, uh, among other places where you're really doing the old school work in that angle and, and, and really having to, to draw the people in with that match. I mean, no pay-per-view. No pay-per-view today can say, that one particular match is, is is drawing the numbers. You know, it's the pay-per-view itself that actually draws the numbers. Absolutely. And in WCW, I mean, obviously there seems to be a lot of politics and a lot of different things going on, but uh, one guy that you got to kind of work with who, you know, later on would kind of become a little bit um, of your boss, so to speak, but you worked with Paulie Dangerously. You guys did a bunch of, uh, kind of I guess you were teaming with Misty Hyatt against him and Arn, and then him and Bobby yeah. and stuff like that. What yeah. was it like yeah, working yeah. with uh, Paul E? And it was almost like the, I guess he was working with the Dangerous Lions at that point. But what was Paulie Dangerously like at that point? Well, at that point, I mean, there's, there's no question about it. Paul Heyman has a has a tremendous mind. You know what I mean? Um, he's come up with some great ideas. I mean, I don't agree with everything he's come up, but he was fantastic on the mic and. I remember like doing the danger zone with him, and he says, "Hey, you know, do this and do that," and I'll, you know, and I'll, I'll feed off of it, you know. And so he was, he was always really helpful. He always had a lot of, you know, he, he was always very creative, and you know, and even back then, you know, you saw it, but you know, not everybody see, see, seen, uh, saw him as, as, as a, as a good person. You know what I mean? Not everybody liked Paulie, but I had no problem with him then. And uh, you know because he was he was always helpful to me, and uh, working with him in those matches, I mean it was simple because you know he wasn't really a wrestler, you know it was the wrestlers did the did the thing and the people wanted to see Missy Hyatt you know get in there with Paulie, and, and and that was that and 
and then, you know, I'll be, I'll be honest with you, I'm not going to name names, but I had people, the first match we did in the Meadowlands, they had, I had people back there, hey, come on, hurt Polly, you know what I mean? And, say, and that's just not <laughs> something I want to do. I, you know, I'm going to look after people, and, and that's that's how how uh, that's how when I when I approached him for ECW, that's how I I got my job so easily because he remembered me taking care of him in that ring because he know I could he knows I could have stepped him and he goes he he just appreciated because I gave him that broken record splash off the top and you know hardly touched him so he just uh, he really appreciated that. I'm definitely going to get to ECW in, in a second, but with WCW, I mean obviously you had a great run there. But how did it end? Like, what was? The, were you released? Did you quit? Like, what was the you know uh, the end game? Basically, basically uh, yeah. Basically, I, you know, I was on a uh, it was a it was a two year contract. It was a one year contract with the possibility of the second year on a rollover. Um, but uh, what happened is when when all that stuff got went went down. This was around Christmas, and then the Starcade thing. And in the Starcade, I was in. A, I, it was me and was it. Me and Tracy against oh, Ron Steve Armstrong. Simmons. Huh? Uh, Steve Arm- Armstrong. Yeah, Steve Armstrong, and it was Ron Simmons. And uh, but it, but anyway, in a, in the comeback, Ron 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 slammed me, but my foot caught on the rope, and it and it and it uh, when my foot caught on the rope as I was coming down, it pulled my it slid my hip out, right? And I still have hip problems to this day because of it. And so I was having problems with my hips, so I had to. I I, I took a, a couple weeks off, and then they just basically slowly phased me off the TV and and stuff like that. And I basically collected a check for about uh, for about four months and hadn't done it. I hadn't done a TV or anything like that. So you know, they basically phased me out, and then through they gave me my notice, and and there I was. So I mean, the thing about it is, I could have, I should have just got in touch with. Uh, I should have gotten in touch with um, with with New York because my story is the same as similar to Scott Hall's deal. Is when they saw when they saw when New York see me on TV. Um, I don't know how they found me, but they found me in Alabama where I was living at the time. And when I got home from the, I went to uh, okay. This is this is. I mean, I went I went to uh, I had to go to on Friday. They gave us these contracts. Everybody else signed right away. I. I held out. I, I just I, I took it with me because the thing was like you know it was like a bible. It was really thick, and I took it home. I didn't you know I just didn't want to sign anything without looking through it and reading through it, right? Um, and so what I did was I you know I, I looked through it, and by the time I got home from the office, you know uh, Magnum TA was hey there won't be any second chances if you don't sign this. We're not going to offer you another deal. Blah blah blah. So they were obviously panicking, but I was just uh, you know. Uh, I was just a young kid at the time, and uh, but I had to see. I had to do a rap in the army, and so I went in. Uh, I went in and I saw. Uh, I saw Dusty at the Ramada, and I said, "You know, hey, Dusty, I'm not too sure about this this contract." And uh, so uh, he says, "Well, wait, wait. We'll talk when we get to the army." So he he pulled me in an office at the army and stuff like that, and he started giving me the spiel about being like his his firstborn son, basically, because I was you know I was the first uh, I was the first gimmick he brought in and. And uh, you know, before other than Josh, Big Josh, and uh, he, you know, he gave me the spiel, and I just fell for a hook, line, and sinker, you know, when he went fishing, and and uh, I bet, and and he reeled me in, and I and I I brought the contract with me, and I signed it, and 
So I get home from the Omni, like this is about four hours later. There's a message on my answering machine that it was about the same time I signed, and it's um, it it was um, oh god, uh, uh, Jay Strongbow. Vince loves the gimmick. He wants you to start immediately. Call Pat Patterson on Monday morning. And uh, he, oh, I was just gutted. And I called Pat and I called Pat on Monday and I told him I just signed. I said, "Is there anything I can do?" He says, "No, but when the contract's up, give us a call." And you know, um, and I, you know, I, I, I made the mistake of just not getting in, in touch with him. I ended up just coming back to my comfort zone. My my wife was in Austrian, and she wanted to come back to Europe, and uh, I wanted to stay with her. So I came back to Europe and started wrestling back over here again. You know, and I, when I should have, I should have got, I should have uh, gave gave them a call because they they tried to get in touch with me uh, again because in '93, um, in '93 when when uh, the first King of the Ring, um, I was there and I uh, I, I, I sat low because I was getting rid of stuff in the stage. I just wanted to go see the show and. And I was with, I was you know I did the loop with with uh, Diesel Scott and 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 Shawn Michaels and I would you know just drive around with them and uh, Slaughter was office at the time and he came out to me and goes where have you been we've been we've been trying to get a hold of you I said well I'm here right now said I got my I got my gear in the car he goes no no and he goes we have a gimmick in mind for you I said oh really and that's that's the weekend minute men on a mission had started for them so I'm you know. It just was the I was at the I was at the right place at the wrong time. And uh just, just one of those one of those situations again, but you can't do anything about it I guess. Again, I'm not there. Right. But it's crazy to think that you know, you were so close to signing the WBF. I did, I had no idea. So basically, you know, men on a mission was was what you were supposed to be, I guess, like what? I, 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 I imagine though. I didn't ask. I didn't. I didn't delve into it. But I imagine since that was the weekend it started, and Pat had said, "Hey, just stick around. You know, we'll, we'll, uh, you know, next month we'll we'll get you on. Uh, we'll, we'll get you. We'll get you out there. We'll get you a dark match and stuff, so Vince can take a look at you personally." And and I I couldn't. I my daughter was my my wife was pregnant. My daughter was on the way. I just needed to go make money, so I came back over to Europe and just uh, started making money again. So uh, it was, you know, I don't, you know, it's 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 all hindsight. There was, there was a couple of there was, there was a couple things. I mean, WCW had, had uh, put the put the brakes on. A, there was a, the manager from Key Sweat and Boys to Men had come and had a meeting with me in the office at the at the, uh, at the towers, and he they had six songs that they wanted me to do. They wanted me to do an EP. They would have put me on OEOM TV raps, and because WCW had my, you know, this is this is how they were trying to stifle me, is as um, they they actually put the brakes on it. They were ready to put me on EPP, put me in the EP, put me in the studio, get me on OEOM TV raps. I've been on all the I've been all the uh, the, the the ribbon blue uh, stations across the states. Uh, you know, they had all the contacts for it. It would have been huge, and they, like I said, they put the they put the brakes on that. They didn't let me do it because they had the copyrights to PN News, which is crazy, you know, which is crazy, you know. But that's just it. Just goes to show I I don't really I don't think they wanted the gimmick to get over, unfortunately, as much as as much as it was getting over. Definitely. And it, when you went back to Europe, you know, coming off of PN News, was there 
like a, a clamoring to do a PN News run in Europe, or did you go right back to being Cannonball Grizzly? Well, I went right. No, I went right back to Germany. You know, the WCW wasn't that strong in Germany and Austria at the time, so I just and and the, the wrestling fans knew me as Grizzly, so I just uh, stayed. I, I just kept doing the Grizzly uh, uh, thing over there, and I was working in I was working in England too, as well uh, for a company called All Star Promotions, uh, which is like is it has they've been in the promote the top promotion in 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 Europe uh, since since autos uh, stopped promoting, and I mean. They they they've been around for 45 years. Brian Dixon is the promoter. In fact, I you know I still I've still I've had a I've had a, a working relationship with Brian with Brian Dixon and All Star Promotions since 1991. You know, and um, in fact I, I was just I was just working for them uh, this last month um, and um, did a little tour and and uh, I you know I I you know I went I went and I, I did a lot of stuff with them. And um, they, the thing is, is a lot of the British wrestling fans remembered me as Peter News. I would, they would be coming up. I'd be signing the comic books. I'd be, you know, I was on the cover of that WCW magazine, the Christmas edition. Uh, they were, you know, I was signing, you know, the the, the, the catalogs and everything. Um, and, but Brian was using me as uh, the All American Avalanche instead of using me as Peter News. I mean, eventually he wised up and started. Using me as at least he was using me as the Avalanche TN News, um, which I don't know. You, you know, every promoter wants to tag you, uh, wants to put their own tag on you. I guess. Yeah, definitely. You got a couple different variations of that, but with PN News, you know, one of the things. I kind of want to mention because it's kind of funny from a uh, you know a collector nerd point of view, and that's the uh, the PN News action figure that never got made. Did you ever get a reason why that wasn't? Because it's been one of the uh, you know most sought after prototype action figures that was pretty much ever produced in a professional wrestling toy line. Yeah, I I never I never got any information about that. I mean, I they they did. I mean, the original uh, the original marketing they did with me. Uh, they they did like ten thousand hats that sold out like within within a, a couple weeks and the t-shirts I I didn't quite fancy the t-shirts the t-shirts were a good seller um, and then they, when they, they they you know we took our pictures for that thing and I think it was just because um, because of all that stuff that was taking place and and I, I, why I I just couldn't I couldn't figure but I'm sure I'm sure it has to to do with a lot of the issues that were taking place um, within six months of me being in the organization uh, that it wasn't actually produced. But, I mean, I, I know that there are only five prototypes out there. I know a guy who's got two of them. Um, also, uh, the, there was there was one, I believe it's the, it's the record for a wrestling figure. I, somebody bought one of them um, a while back for, like, 1400 bucks. So, because I mean, there's only five of them, and uh, and and now I think so. I've, I've heard some ladies been making 3D images of 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 the uh, figure as well. But uh, I, I mean, that's all I know. I haven't. I mean, I, somebody offered me. Uh, somebody offered I could have bought one for. I could have bought one of the prototypes for like 500 uh, pounds, which would have been about at the time would have been about 900 dollars. Wow. I go for it. So. I mean, you so, think yeah, about it. I mean, the, Go I'm ahead. sorry, continue. No, go ahead. No, I, I don't know where I... Go ahead, I, go ahead. 
No, I was going to say, you think about the fact that the, you know, the colors and the, the way your character would have stood out, that, you know, you think about sought-after collectibles, you think about, like you said, the 10,000 hats getting sold out. Another missed opportunity, to say the least, and if wrestling politics played into the merchandise factor, that's not only taking money from you, but it's also costing the company money and making them look, you know, kind of silly in the process. Well, I think, I think you know what, the thing is, is the way I look at wrestling, and I mean, I've promoted a few shows uh, here in Europe and also in the United States, uh, in my hometown, and, and uh, in Omaha, Nebraska as well. And um, the thing is, is whether, if I like a guy or not, if I think that guy can make me money, then I'm going to use him and I'm going to push him and I'm going to make as much money as I can with him. If I'm making him money, I don't care because I'm making myself money as well. So, I mean, to me, um, but, the, but, the, but, the, but the wrestling industry has been so full of politics for so long. It's, you know, with the industry being the way it is, um, being in the entertainment industry, I mean, there's backstabbing. There's, you know, there's always somebody that wants to take your spot and and, uh, and 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 ruin your career. You know, careers get ruined in the in the dressing room and in cars. People talking behind your back and, and, and telling telling absolute lies, or maybe maybe some of them are truths, but uh, but or half truths. But people are talking about you just to just so that uh, they can they can uh, step over you as as uh, your career goes down the tubes. Absolutely, and you know it's a shame that politics can play a role when you know when somebody's over, like yourself, or you know when the fans, you know, definitely were into you. But you know, you left WCW, and you returned back to you know you said to the CWA for a little bit. Obviously, there was some interest from WWF. But what did yeah. you you know what did you want to do? Did you want to stay in Europe? Obviously, you know you said you said you had a baby and stuff. But did you want to stay there, or did you eventually want to you know come back to the states and land a job here? I, I mean, I love Europe. I, I really do. Um, and, I, you know, my uh, I speak German fluently. Um, I've, I've always liked it over here. I, I don't think, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I would have, yeah, I would have loved to to get a nice run in the WWE. Um, Japan was always was always another option, but uh, I was, you know, I'd been to New Japan and I'd been to a couple smaller companies as well while I was over there. I would have, I would have loved it. For me, would have been ideally for me, but the, the the whole the whole Japan scene has changed as well. Would have been uh, working working my international shows as I do from from Europe, and also would have been you know flying in and out of Japan. Uh, that would have been for me. Um, I would have enjoyed that more than going to the WWF slash WWE, just because um, I would have been more my own man um, than actually uh, being a, a victim of, a, of, of, the, of, these, of the system, you know? Definitely. And uh, the WWF or WWE is definitely a shark tank for sure. And before we mentioned yeah. um, Paul Heyman and we were saying how, you know, you kind of got into ECW, but how, how does that go? You contacted him or he contacted you because you ended up in ECW and you were with the Baldy. Yeah, I, it was it was again. It was a situation where I was in the area and I, I, dro- I stepped I dropped into Philadelphia. I had my gear with me as you do, and um, I just stopped into the, the Philadelphia arena there. And uh, Paul was happy to see me, and they put me on with Spike Dudley, and I did my customary, you know, his, his giant killer routine. Did that, and uh, so from then, Paulie said, "All right, you start next week." You know what I mean? So I was, you know, they were flying me in. Um, 
you know, doing doing shows. I was doing my own thing for a little bit, and I was, you know, working Mike Awesome and Rhino and, you know, Van Damme and, and Sabu, and, you know, so, I, you know, I got to work all the top singles, and, and then they put me in that Baldy's gimmick. PCW, because obviously at that point they were pretty hot, and they were getting very popular. But, you know, they were definitely a different style than, you know, WCW or even WWF at the time. Um, yeah, it, it was all right. I mean, it, it wasn't, I mean, I, I don't mind doing balling and, and, and hardcore stuff. That's, it, it, that was not, that was not an issue for me. Um, it's just, I don't think I was there. It wasn't the right fit for me at the time. Um, uh, I, 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 I didn't feel like it was the right fit for me. Now, I remember, you know, you were on a pay-per-view. It was, I think it was November to remember 99. You were with the That's Baldies, right. uh, Yep. Angel, DeVito, obviously Zito Lagrasso, and you're yep. facing New Jack, uh, who's at Axel and Balls. Yeah, right. And you kind of went into the, into the brawling aspect of where you said you kind of didn't like, you know, the brawling. But was that kind of totally out of your element to be in with those guys? Because some of those guys are just brawlers. There's no wrestling going no, on. No, I mean, like all. I said, I mean, I mean, my style and my style in Europe was was a lot of brawling. You know what I mean? So. That, that to me it was not it was not an issue. The, the brawling wasn't wasn't an issue. I think it was the it was the total disregard of wrestling psychology that 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 hurt me going in there. You know what I mean? Doing all these mm. you know ten thousand chair shots, going through fifteen tables. Um, to me, it was a lack of psychology. It was just it was all high high impact uh, elements and in in the matches. I found that the, the the story element was gone, you know, and that's no disrespect to any of those guys because I mean I worked with a lot of those guys and I you know and I know a lot of them can tell stories, you know what I mean, and I I've got the utmost respect for those guys, but just the way that the company was set up, it was it was for me it was just a little bit overkill. I mean I'm so old school that I like the I like to to have a, a bit of a story element, uh, you know, when somebody gets hit in the head with the chair, uh, you know. When somebody gets hit in the head in the chair shot, that's generally, you know, lights out. That's all she wrote, you know. And that was used at the beginning of matches, you know, and, and it was continuing. I mean, the creative stuff they did, you know, you know, Sabu and and uh, Van Damme and, and, and a lot of those other guys, the creative stuff that they were doing was just, was 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 a pleasure to watch. Um, but, you know, as I said, um it got to the point where what's next, you know, somebody's got to pull out a chainsaw and cut somebody's head off, you know. Um, it just, the the element of the story was, was missing for me, and, and that was, for me, that's a huge part of, of, of the wrestling industry. Absolutely, and that's, uh, you know, what a lot of people do say about ECW, you know, and I know some people praised it, but obviously a lot of people did for, you know, their psychology, mm-hmm. the, finish, the finishes are just crazy because it's like, uh, that should have finished him. You know, what are you going to have to run this guy over with a car to finish the match? So, I mean, obviously, yeah, yeah. ECW was, you know, good in some aspects and just uh, not very good in some others. But you had a loser sure, leaves sure. town match with, you know, within the ECW. What was the aspect? Did you say you wanted to leave ECW? Was there no real deal? It was it, just kind they, of they, a... it, no, I'll tell you what. They didn't even tell me it was a loser leaves town match. <laughs> 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 That's how schneid that was. I didn't even know whether it was a relief town match. I found out. Uh, I found out a week later. <laughs> <laughs> Damn! Isn't that funny? Yeah, they can laugh at it. You know what I mean? Doesn't bother me at all. Yeah, is that typical Paul Heyman? Well, what, what, what happened was I moved back to I moved back to Nebraska 
you know, when I was, I was, you know, I was in Atlanta, when I was in Atlanta, you know, that was in Delta Hub, the flights were cheap, you know. When I moved into Atlanta, when I moved out to, out to Nebraska, I moved out there uh, because, you know, the cost of living was, was just better for me, and I had my family's all from there. And uh, when uh, when they did, when, when so I was, you know, who was I talking to? Uh, oh, uh, Raven came up to me and said, you know, you might want to think about moving back to Atlanta. So the writing was on the wall, but I just, you know what, I just, I didn't, I, I was ready to move back home and, and uh, you know, Paulie was, you know, you know, people were, were known for not getting their wages there and that was happening to everybody um, at times. So I just basically, um, I basically was going where I could, make, where I could, uh, you know, where I could afford to, afford to live on the wages I was getting off of them. So uh, when, I, when I would get them. So basically uh, the writing was on the wall again, but uh, as, as I said, it didn't, it didn't disturb me. It's just, you know what, if they would have, if, if Paulie would have came up to me and said, hey, listen, kid, you know, you're moving out there. You know, Paulie didn't even come up to me. They just they just said it was a loser league town, and there I was. I was gone. So, um, again, uh, neither here nor there because I, I was back in Europe again shortly after that. And, and I was, you know, making better money over here. And I was making twice as much over here as I was making uh, in ECW at the time. So definitely, and that sounds like typical Paul Heyman ECW nonsense. You know, yeah, yeah. you find out a week later that's literally <laughs> so far. Yeah. Now you know you you go back to Europe, and obviously you know you're a, a big time star over there as Cannibal Grizzly, a, a EPW champion, EWA champion. I mean. You wrestled with great guys. You mentioned Seth Finley before, but one guy that kind of jumped off the page when I was, you know, looking at some matches you had over there, and you beat Bam Bam Bigelow. What was it like working with Bam Bam? Yeah, that was. You know what the thing is? Is it was in the it was the uh, European wrestling uh, promotion in Hanover, Germany, and Hanover is like. I mean, I've lived in Hanover. It's like my uh, home away from home. And it was funny. I mean, I'd been up for I'd been up for four days because I'd, I'd gotten on a train in between shows. And I, you know, I rode on the train for, for 800 kilometers. Went to see my daughter. Spend the whole, you know, spend from like, I had can't sleep on the train. So I, I, I see my daughter from like seven o'clock until, uh, until um, midday or something like that. Got on the train. Got, got back to uh, Hanover just before the show. Got back there, you know, the night before I was barred, so I didn't get any sleep. And then, you know, and then that night I didn't get any sleep, and I had to work Bam Bam in the title match. And, uh, I mean, I was just, I was just, I was a zombie, you know, and it was, it was a pleasure because, you know, uh, all the times, uh, you know, as long as I've been in the career, people have compared me and Bam Bam's style, you know, to one another at times. So it was a great pleasure working one of his last big matches on his career. And, um, I, they ended up uh, putting the, putting the title on me. It was the funny thing was, is before the match and we're going over it and, I'm talking to Bam Bam, and Bam Bam goes, uh, "Yeah, but I, I, you know, I, I think I'm probably going to be the babyface here." I said, uh, "Trust me, Bam Bam, um, you, you, you can go ahead and work heel." And we went out there, and he just he couldn't. He said to me, "We're we're standing there toe to toe," and he goes, "Brother, I can't believe it, man. They're nuts for you." Because <laughs> he had, you know, he had, the, you know, of course he had the bigger worldwide push and stuff like that. But Hanover was 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 my town, and and. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm still the I'm the heavyweight champion for uh, the European wrestling uh, promotion is still still there. And uh, in fact, we've got a Christmas show and we're doing an, um, 
we're on the uh, what is it the the 18th and 19th of December, and uh, one of them is for a old German wrestler. His uh, his son is his legacy is still wrestling, but he passed away. Uh, Axel Dieter was his name, and he passed away. He was uh, 83 years old. He passed away uh, last month. So we're doing like a memorial uh, tournament uh, two days uh, to to kind of celebrate his his uh, professional wrestling career. That is great, and it's you know great to hear that you're still the man over there. And, and obviously, you know, <laughs> and obviously, you know, you mentioned Bam Bam yourself, and then you kind of throw Vader into the mix. Three big guys who are just not only agile, but just were great athletes, and you know, just great competitors for being as big as you guys were. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. I mean, I think that was that was the thing. It, the the I think we all came in. We started at the same time in the mid '80s. And it was the era of the athletic big man. You know what I mean? I think all of us, you know, wanted to get in there and, and, and show what we could do because we were all athletic as hell and, and uh, we just wanted to show people what we do. So we, we upped it up a notch from the old school. Uh, we became, we were the new school at the time and uh, we, we really gave everything, um, everything I got, uh, everything we got. And uh, we, we, we tried to improve, uh, improve the aspects, you know, because, I mean, like watching a big man match isn't always watching big men wrestle isn't always very fun because the story the story takes a lot longer to develop because it's you know David versus Goliath and it's you know the story takes time to develop and sometimes uh, people might not understand it and I think that we just you know we took the industry of the big man into um, into a, a bigger into a new realm and you know one man gang you can put one man gang in there uh, as well he was a Tremendous uh, talent as Big Man Earthquake and and Typhoon and those guys. You know, it was you know, I think it's a different uh, the industry and the big men uh, changed at, at that moment in the business. One thing you did say is you said I'm still the man and and the one the thing is the, the thing I got to do right now is just take the time to it, I I wouldn't be anything if it wasn't for the you know the fans and the promoters that use me. Um, they they're the ones who. The ones, that, the ones that have given me a shot, an opportunity to to be in the position that I'm at, uh, still at, at my age, I, I've just got to say, um, it's, it's, I got to thank, thank them, thank the promoters, thank the, thank the fans for for being there and supporting, uh, whether it's Campbell Grizzly or PN News or whatever, um, because they're the ones that, that, that make make uh, make me into a into a star or make my character into a star. Well said for sure, and you know you have fans all over the world. And one question is very curious to ask you was: you wrestled in Japan, you wrestled in Mexico, you wrestled in the United States, obviously England, uh, Austria, Germany. What's your favorite place to wrestle? I think I just mentioned, I just mentioned it. Two of my favorite places to wrestle: one is Hanover in Germany, the other one is uh, Bremen in Germany. Um, and it, it's crazy. Uh, the, the old Hoymarkt, uh, in, 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 uh was an open-air venue that we would wrestle in the summer in Vienna, Austria. That was a fascinating and wonderful place to, to wrestle. Um, I, I, I'll tell you what, I ran my hometown of Hardington, Nebraska, and uh, we put a lot of people in that high school gym, and that's got to be one of my favorite places just because the atmosphere was fantastic and, and you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of fans... Uh, a lot of fans came out, and uh, you know, some of my friends still live in the community. It's only a town. Of, it was only a town. It's only a town of fifteen hundred people, but uh, the, the, the place was just rocking, and, and I enjoyed doing that. But as far as like regular venues where I go to, uh, just like the the Shoots and Plots, 
which was it was a tent. And back in the heyday when we were wrestling, the tent would hold three thousand people, and that was that was super. Uh, just a just a unique atmosphere. Um, Hanover, that was in Hanover, and then we'd wrestle in Bremen in the Stadthalle, and that was just an incredible atmosphere. The German German fans were very appreciative of of of, of, of wrestling, and, and uh, so are so are the Austrian fans. That is, you know, awesome, and and I love that you know you can be so far away from the states. But you know, still have that presence, and people still know you, and, and you're still over and stuff. But as I, you know, wind it down a little bit here, I gotta ask because you've wrestled, like you just mentioned, all, you know, all over the world. You wrestled so many good guys, and you know, we mentioned Steve Austin before. We didn't even mention you wrestled like DDP and Stan Hansen and Muda, and even down in Mexico, uh, El Kanek and uh, Doctor Wagner. I mean, there's yeah, so many, so many great guys that you've been able to wrestle, and obviously we mentioned Vader and Bam Bam. But do you have a favorite match? Dick Murdoch. Oh yeah, there's another guy, another legend. Do you have a favorite match or matches you've had in your career? Uh, Bam Bam sticks out, and I'll tell you what. And there's one of my one of my favorite matches. I dropped the title to um, to a guy from England. His name is Darren Walsh. He works as as uh, Thunder, the monster from the Midlands, and um, it was it was one of my favorite matches. We just went out there and, and, and uh, went after it. Um, and just you know, tore the tent down on you know in, in the main event, and and another one of my favorite matches of all times is working against uh, the Bambi Killer, Chris the Bambi Killer Raybar. Um, you guys might remember him. He was down and you know he was with uh, he was with the WWE Developmental for a little while, and uh, we did uh, we did eleven rounds in um, in uh, Leoben, Austria. That was one of my favorite matches of all time. I mean, I'd be. I mean, I still once in a while I'll dust off. I, I do a tope now and again. I'll dust it off and I'll get my tope and get some of my crazy stuff in and, and do my. I do a, instead of I don't do the big splash off the top anymore because of my knees, but I do my my finisher. My, for the last 15 years, my finisher's been a uh, a cannonball santa. I mean, well, you guys seen it anyway. WCW, I was doing the the santa off the top uh, there and stuff like that, and so that that kind of became my my finisher when my knees started bothering me. So, but yeah, I'd say, uh, Chris, Chris Bambi, Chris, the Bambi killer Raybar and, uh, Thunder, uh, working Dick, Mar- Dick Murdoch in, uh, Bayamon, uh, down in the uh, Bayamon stadium down in, uh, Puerto Rico. That was, that was a good match. I enjoyed good matches. I was doing with Vader. Um, th- those were fun. That with Bam Bam was, was also an incredible match. Um, I mean, and, and then when I was out in Portland, Oregon, you know, I got to work the grappler in Denton, and I got to work Dave Sierra and some coal miners club club matches. Uh, we had we had a coal miners club match, me and Dave, uh, in a in a house show that just uh, we tore the place down, and it, that was one of my favorite matches. I oh, and then again, me and Buddy Rose were tagging out in Portland as the Beach Boys, and we were working against the Southern Rocker, Steve Dahl and Scott Peterson. And we had, I mean, every match we had was just unbelievable. Buddy Rose, what a tremendous wrestler he was, you know. Um, just, you know, I, I've, I've been so fortunate to, to, to work and wrestle around so many great wrestlers and, and just learn from each and every one of them. It's, it's, been, it's been wonderful for me. And 
you know, you've wrestled everywhere. You've wrestled all the great guys you mentioned. But out of all those guys, do you have maybe a favorite opponent or maybe opponents that you just click with and, you know, do you, it was always a joy to work with, you know, just a guy you always loved working with? Robbie Brookside. Um, he's he's now one of the uh, he's one of the trainers down at uh, NXT. Um, yep. He's a oh, yeah. English wrestler, and me and Robbie probably worked a thousand times. Uh, it's just it was always it was easy, you know. It was it was just the easiest match, and we used to just tear the house tear the house down every time. Uh, just a really really a pleasure. We just had such a chemistry together. It just it just always it always worked. And yeah, Robbie, you know, he was uh, yeah one of definitely one of my favorites. Definitely. Now I don't know if you have access to the WWE Network, but they have a uh, no, I don't. They have a new show uh, which is basically it's called Breaking Ground. It's basically behind the scenes yeah. of NXT and the trainers, and he's yeah, you know, he's, you, he's one of the main characters, you know, of that show. Yeah, I've seen I've seen bits and pieces of it. I've seen him. Uh, somebody, his wife had posted it a, a while back, so I got to see a clip of him on it. So. Yeah, that's great. I'm I'm just I'm just tremendously happy for the guy that uh, you know he gets to he, he gets to be there and he gets to uh, to to help young people and you know in, in you know in the beginning of their careers and 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 teach them uh, what what the what wrestling is all about. Uh, you know, I've known Robbie for well over 25 years and and uh, I'm I'm just happy to see him. Uh, Continuing his his career as 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 a, as a trainer down there, and I I hope he I hope he stays there forever, and I you know I hope he I hope he makes millions. Now, one thing I wanted to bring up because I don't know if you were familiar with this as far as like uh, things being all over the internet and stuff being passed around, but your name has actually been around uh, somewhat frequently lately because of the wrestler Tyrus, who was known as uh, Brodus Clay, and he was saying right. that. He was saying that John Cena was nothing but a wannabe PN News. I don't know if you saw any of that stuff. <laughs> I didn't see any of that stuff, but I did see a, I did see a couple Cena matches where where um, where there was signs in the audience where it said John Cena equals PN News. You know, I don't know I don't know if that's a compliment to him or a compliment to me or if it's uh, actually a insult to either one of us. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if, if John Cena's if John Cena's the and, and if, he, if that's the same thing. I mean, uh, when when Brodus Clay first got his push, a lot of people were uh, were uh, hitting me up and saying, "Hey, somebody's doing your gimmick." <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, hey, go for it. You know what I mean? Uh, it's always entertaining to to see anybody doing anything in this business. You know, it's, the business is hard enough. If somebody can make money. You know, doing some kind of rap gimmick, then go for it. So he was kind of not happy uh, Cena stole your gimmick, I guess. <laughs> well, if he's up, if he's upset for me, I appreciate that. I'll have to thank him the next time I run into him on the road. <laughs> <laughs> now, That's is there is there anybody out there that you actually haven't been able to wrestle that you always wanted to wrestle? Maybe like a you know, quote unquote, dream match. Um. No, I really can't. I can't. I can't say that that's so. I mean, Christ, you know, I would have loved to have had an opportunity to work some of those guys that, uh, you know, like 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 a rock or something like that. That would have been great because, uh, but he, but I never got to because he was, you know, he was always his whole career he was with the WWE. Uh, another one, I suppose, I would have 
and I've wrestled quite a few Samoans. I would have loved to have had some kind of match with uh, with Rikishi, you know, two big men uh, going at it in the ring. I don't know if I'd go for that stink face, though. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, you know, we talk about, obviously, you know, the, just all the great things you've done, both in the States and overseas. And if you really could, if you pinpoint one aspect of it where you could say, to somebody, if you close the book either on PN News in the States and WCW or, or Cannonball Grizzly and all the success you've had, is there anything that you feel you contributed in terms of your legacy to the business? And really, I mean, we talk and we joke about John Cena and Tyrus, or a.k.a. Brodus Clay, but you really were the first to really integrate that rap character on screen. But what would you say your legacy is to the pro wrestling business? You know, I, you know, I, don't, I don't want to see anybody just, just, you know, I don't want my legacy to be an, an exceptional character. I think that, you know, yes, in the States, I think my, I don't want to be the, the, the first rapping wrestler. I just wanted people to see, hey, when, when that big guy got in the ring, the guy could, the guy could work, you know. And I think, I think I'd like my legacy to be is that, you know, for, for a big man, he's one of the best ever, you know. Um, I may have not got the runs like some of these other guys uh, have, but, uh, I've, I've held my own everywhere I went, and uh, I, you know, I, I, I would just like that to, to be my legacy. And, and a guy, which is, it's hard, and you know, in, 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 the, in, in old school standards, to be able to work both babyface and heel equally well. And I'd, I'd like to think that I, I, I proved, I proved that, uh, all, you know, all the time that that I, uh, you know, I've, I've learned how to be a, a really competent babyface and. And I was, you know, I was an excellent heel. And um, th- those are the things that I'd like to be my legacy. What I, I cannot, I, what I like is, is, it might be different from what, what reality of my, my legacy will be. When I die, maybe everybody will have forgotten about me, and that might be my legacy. But uh, I just, you know, for me, the most important thing is that I got that run, and I got to, I got to entertain, you know. And it's been great. I mean, five thousand matches later, I'm. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm still, I'm still uh, doing it. Yeah, without a doubt, that's so great, and we're so happy that you're able to join us. And before we, uh, before we rock, wrap up this episode, let's uh, let's get some of those plugs out, and let's tell everybody where they can find Paul New, PN News, Cannonball Grizzly, whatever they want to call you. Where can they find you? They can find me at, uh, they can find me on on Twitter at uh, Cannonball Grizzly. And also, I'm the real PN News on on Twitter, and I'm starting to uh, I'm starting to uh, put put up a little rap every day on on tw- on my Twitter account on the real PN News Twitter account, and um, I really want to get my uh, the PN News back out there again because I want to come down. My career's winding down. I want to get back over to the states, and I want to show uh, show the fans that I can still go. So I want to start to. Trying to work up my work up, get a few more bookings over there, and because uh, I've only got a couple of years left, and uh, want I want all the all the old fans to come out and see me again, and I want to see if I can uh, get a few new fans before before it winds down. So that's a those both both those check out both those sites again. That's Cannibal Grizzly on Twitter, and it's uh, the Real PM News on Twitter. Saturday, December 5th, WWE Hall of Famer, Mr. Wonderful, Paul Orndorff comes to Collector's World in Annandale, Virginia. For more information, please visit CollectorsWorldVA.com and pricing starts at only $25. 
That's WWE Hall of Famer Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, Saturday, December 5th, 2015, from 11.30 to 12.30 at Collector's World in Annandale, Virginia. Visit CollectorsWorldVA.com for more information, because it's going to be absolutely wonderful.